folks. Welcome back to week two of the podcast you might just be learning you need in your life. Welcome to the Three View Mirror, a podcast where every week me, Shell, and my buddy Chris get together and talk about three different topics that can range over three different amazing decades, the 70s, 80s, and the 90s. And these three seemingly unrelated topics actually will come together in the end with some unifying purpose known only to the person that came up with the topics. Now, the person that came up with the topics this week is none other than Chris Clues. So this is Gen X Jono, better known as John Catrini's, or maybe that's the other way around. But in any case, you can find me on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, and I'm joined with Chris Clues and Gen X Shell. Chris, introduce yourself. Chris Clues, better known as Chris Clues. I am a keynote speaker and author, and I talk about and write about the life and work lessons that we can learn from 80s pop culture. And I am Rochelle Oblak, better known across my social media accounts as Gen X Shell, and where I basically make a fool of myself on a daily basis, um, doing videos with wigs or whatever else I can come up with just to be a part of this 70s and 80s. Awesome. And we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that we do have an amazing sponsor, Chris. Yes, our sponsor is amazing. And it's we're brought to you by Do You Remember? a global community made up of millions of people who are passionate about nostalgia and pop culture. Do You Remember inspires readers to share memories, reminisce, and step back from the fast-paced world so they can relax, smile, and feel good as a daily goal. All three of us are obviously pop culture and nostalgia nerds, and Do You Remember is our destination for everything from the 50s to the 90s. Don't be a neo-maxi-zoon dweeby. Follow or subscribe to Do You Remember today on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. All right, so as I mentioned at the onset of the podcast, Shell and I have no clue what concepts Chris has come up with. So he's got three seemingly unrelated things that he's going to let us know momentarily what he's come up with. And Shell and I are going to spend the rest of the podcast, along with all of you, trying to figure out how they connect as we discuss how they intertwine themselves into the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Chris, up to you. Yeah, and so for those of you that uh, aren't here, obviously, like the three of us, that took about 15 takes between Shell and John to get that introduction <laughs> right. So here we go. Uh, it is, I have three topics. Uh, none of them have to do with my shirt, Weird Science, which is one of my favorite movies, or the skateboard decks behind me. So the three topics are Scooby-Doo, handwritten letters, and mixtapes. So we're going to talk about how those... We're going to talk about how those... Those three topics actually uh, come together at the end and are related to one final topic. You know what's funny? I always say that uh, we share like a common uh, other dimensional brain somehow as far as all of us Gen Xers. I literally just put a Facebook post out this, this morning with Scooby-Doo and Shaggy in it. And basically it's just a picture of the two of them and uh, Hong Kong Fui in his civilian attire and uh, somebody, oh, and uh, Beavis and Butthead. And I'm like, so many of our childhood cartoons obviously had the munchies the entire time we watched. Um, and Scooby and Shaggy, if they weren't stoned, intentionally stoned, created to be stoned, uh, I, 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 but I don't think that's the connection here. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, what, what was amazing about Scooby-Doo was that no matter what, when I was a kid watching that, the, the, the show, it, there was only ever one bad guy and they always unveiled him and it was just it was that one other character besides the main crew and i never figured it out as a kid you're always like oh i wonder who's under the mask and meanwhile there was only other one character on there so yeah and they would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for those darn kids, kids. <laughs> Those meddling kids, yeah, that's it. And the mystery van and the Scooby Snacks, yeah. There's there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack in so many of those cartoons that we grew up with. Um, where you know we you look back now, and I mean even today, like SpongeBob SquarePants. I mean I can't imagine that that was done sober. Um, but yeah. yeah. When we when we talk about Scooby Doo, it's it's a classic, right? Generation after generation. I mean it's one of those cartoons that just seemingly continues to grow. Uh, we even have movies with Scooby-Doo. Uh, it's gotten to that point. TV shows. If you remember the Laugh Olympics, which was one of oh, my yeah. favorites. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the Laugh Olympics, I always thought of as Battle of the Network Stars, but the cartoon version. Yeah, and yes. the live-action movies were surprisingly, like, I didn't expect anything whenever I went to watch the live-action movies with uh, 
Sarah Michelle Geller was in um, several of those. Or I don't Freddie know Prince Jr. How many did they make? And Freddie Prince Jr. Do you know how many they made? No, but there have been actually uh, Scooby Doo movies going back several decades, and Scooby Doo oh. specials. So uh, it's definitely there's definitely a lot in pop culture. Scooby Doo has had a huge influence on. Um, pop culture. And I wanted to know from both of you who your favorite Scooby-Doo character was, of course, besides the villain each week uh, that usually was like a lighthouse keeper or something. I was partial to Scooby. I I, I loved, I, I mean, we went around talking like, like Scooby talks, you know, and I, I'm going to embarrass myself for you. Oh, oh, Raggy, you know, and all that <laughs> stuff. I just loved it. I, he was my favorite. I was pretty boring. Like, I was the kid that really despised Scooby and Shaggy for screwing things up every week. I was the kid that hated Gilligan. Like, I'm like, they would have got off that damn island episode three if it wasn't for that moron. Why have they not drowned him in the lagoon by now and just gotten home? So, for me, I always liked, like, the, the sensical, logical ones in the group. You know, I, I guess, except for the, the scarf thing that I don't even want to get into here, but I guess it would be Fred. <laughs> You know, if, if Scooby and Shaggy were stoners, they had another image in mind for Fred, I think. <laughs> it, but you know what? It was always the way they ran, too. Whenever Scooby and Shaggy were always running to keep up, there was something about, like, it was like they used that same animation every single yes. time as they were running all over the place. Yeah. So I'll tell you, so uh, Filmation and Hanna-Barbera and a lot of the early cartoons, actually, you nailed it. One of the ways they stayed in budget you watch the Super Friends, it's almost one of the best examples of it. They had stills. They had animations that they would use over and over and over again. Change the backdrop to put them where they need them. But that running in place and taking off is one example of how they stayed in budget. They used the same exact clip over and over again throughout. That's, That's interesting. Awesome. And it makes sense. And I mean, I, you know, obviously like animation, if, I mean, I, if you've ever seen how it's put together. I mean, I, I'm still amazed at how prevalent animation was so early on in cinema because it's really difficult to do. And I mean, obviously the tools are make it much simpler today, but to think about the time consuming, especially when we think about our, the shows, the, the Christmas specials and, you know, uh, Santa Claus is coming to town and all that stuff. Well, yeah, that's claymation, right? So that was even yeah. harder. That was take it, take a picture, move it, take a picture, move it, take a picture. I'll tell you what, you mentioned the running in place though, real quickly. I still remember the first nightmare I ever had as a child, and I was probably four or five years old, probably four because it was before kindergarten, and my parents owned a diner. And I remember that I was outside the diner being chased by the Joker from Batman, and I was trying to get in the door because my parents were in the restaurant, and that's where I would have been safe, but I couldn't get in the door because Scooby and Shaggy were in front of the door also trying to get in doing that running in place thing and not getting in. And I was behind them trying to get in before the Joker got me. 50 years later, I 49 years, I still have that that image of that dream in my head. <laughs> now, now, speaking of nightmares, I actually knew a parent, like a modern day parent, that would not allow their kids to watch Scooby-Doo because they said it, it was it was give their kids nightmares. Like they actually said that they were not allowed to watch Scooby-Doo. And I started thinking about, you know, some of our cartoons back in the day where I know I wasn't actually allowed to watch Woody Woodpecker because my parents had, yeah, Woody Woodpecker, um, the old one, because my parents considered it too violent at the time um, because he was so mean. <laughs> so I guess no time Jerry for you then either. I'm sorry. Did your mother understand that Woodpecker was a bird? <laughs> I, they they thought he was just mean spirited, and I wasn't allowed to watch. Well, some so. some peckers are. <laughs> now you just got us flagged on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's where she was going with it. <laughs> <laughs> we're always gonna end up here you know that right <laughs> we're always gonna end up here someday someday conversation always gonna go back. sorry all right let's go back to scooby-doo so for me <laughs> i'm gonna take us back to scooby-doo the, the 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 topic of this particular segment here 
And for me, I mean, I loved Scooby-Doo, but I really loved Shaggy because he was, to me, like he was so kind of chill and he was so different from all of the other characters and so different from so many of the other cartoon characters that we had at the time. And, you know, that's kind of why I really kind of gravitated towards Shaggy because he was so weird and quirky and he would disappear for a while and then he would come back and he would have this big smile on his face and you know just i don't know i, I was always, i want to yeah i'm still something coming out of that van yeah. so you mentioned that he's different from other cartoon characters but the for me what was amazing is there was a shaggy in a lot of the cartoons we watched if you remember uh speed buggy there was the the mechanic that looked exactly like Shaggy in that. Um, if you watch Jabberjaws, there was a character in that that looked almost exactly like Shaggy in that. There was like Shaggies in a bunch of different of the uh, cartoons we watched, and I always got them confused as a little kid. I thought Shaggy was in each of them. Shaggy was a megastar. Yeah, crossover king. <laughs> crossover, yeah, he was a megastar before megastars were even a thing. Yeah. And he was, yeah, he was actually, and he was in a lot of different shows as well. And then of course, like you mentioned, uh, Fred with his scarf, but I always remembered Fred like for the sweater, because I feel like he was the, even though Fred was like, kind of like the, I don't know what you would call him. Like he was the guy that never really did anything wrong, but right. he was also the, the prototype look wise for all the bullies in eighties movies. If he just had a oh, sweater around his neck. The sweater, yeah. 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 He would have yeah, been the, the, in all the 80s movies. Yeah, like with, the, with the, the sweater with the with the hand things, or with the sleeves tucked in each other over top the shoulders, yeah. yeah. So the there was Thelma, there, what was the other girl's name, the pretty one, the, the stereotypically pretty girl? Daphne. That was Daphne. Daphne, yeah. Daphne yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she was your stereotypical pretty one, and then... Velma was your stereotypical nerdy one. And do you, do you remember when she would take off her glasses in the cartoon and she couldn't see a thing and then they would show the little dots for eyes because her eyes were actually magnified by the glasses? Yeah. 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 Well, I remember like my, my older daughter now says the thing going through pop culture today when they talk about Scooby-Doo is this part where Thelma always had a crush on Daphne. Daphne always had a crush on Fred, and Fred had a crush on Shaggy. <laughs> yeah. I have not heard that. Where did you I, I've heard that too. Yeah, and that and that it, it's it kids think differently today. I mean, I'm not gonna. We're, that's not what we're here to do. But they think differently, and that's where they took it. And I'm like, yeah, all right. Yeah, and they, and they, I, they were a lot of spin-offs too. I mean, remember um, when they started oh, yeah. bringing in uh, like Scrappy Doo? Remember Scrappy Doo? Uh, oh, um, you did. Was a cute little yes. thing. Yeah. <sighs> he was the Scrappy Oliver of the cartoon world. Oh, that's so annoying! Literally, <laughs> Oliver from the Brady Bunch vibes. <laughs> no, no, no. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, Puppy Power. Puppy Power. I did like Scrappy Doo, and you mentioned. Uh, I think you mentioned earlier Hong Kong Fooey as well, which was one of my favorites. I actually have a Hong Kong Fooey shirt, t-shirt. Number one super guy. Uh, oh, yeah. So, yeah, right. So Scooby-Doo, um, you know, a, a staple of the Saturday morning cartoons, a staple of pop culture in general. One of those generational characters and generational characters, I should say, with Scooby and Shaggy and mainly Scooby and Shaggy. I mean, the other three obviously are also generational characters, but I think Scooby and Shaggy probably are the ones when people top of mind when you think of Scooby-Doo. And, uh, and then the Laugh Olympics, of course, we talked about, which was one of my favorite shows. So let's, let's move to the next topic. We talked about Scooby-Doo and uh, let's move to something that, uh, again, these three topics, remember, are going to tie together at the end here. So the first topic was Scooby-Doo. This next one is handwritten letters, something that we really don't do anymore today. And it's, it's pretty wild if you think about whenever people started writing, you know, they, they wrote on cave walls. And then we, once we had paper or whatever we were using as a material to write on and to pass those letters on to people. And sometimes they needed to be taken from one village to another on horseback. And then we got to the point where when we were, you know, we were born and we were starting to write letters that we would write letters, whether it be on a, 
a, a note to somebody in school or a letter to somebody that maybe we met on summer vacation and we exchanged addresses and we sent letters to them. It might be postcards that we did as well. So we're traveling somewhere and we send a postcard back or somebody sends a postcard to us because that was really the, the way for us to communicate was through a handwritten letter, unlike today where most people are, are using email. Email accounts. And, and the handwritten letter for me, it was a staple of elementary and middle school and high school because that's that's where you found out in high school it's where the party was. In middle school, it was who you were going to the dance with. In elementary school, the only thing I can remember is, you know, we'll, we use the terms, will you go with me? Circle yes yeah. or no. Yes. And those were, go with me meant you're my girlfriend or you're my boyfriend. And, you know, if we would circle the word or <laughs> if we weren't sure. And I don't know. How many of those did you send out? I had the, it was for us, it was the, I like you, do you like me? Yes or no. And I got a lot of oars back, um, for sure. <laughs> but you know, and I did, I've been, I was oared early and often. Uh, and today I'm like, don't put that in writing that can be used against you. Don't ever put anything in writing. And we put everything in writing and it was out there. And anybody that saw it would, would know exactly what was going on up to and including a teacher. if They intercepted it. Now, often threatened, but never occurring in my memory, teacher never read my notes out loud. They made me sweat it out. But thankfully, I never had the teacher that intercepted the note and then read it. I've had, I've heard other people's notes, but Oof. I didn't, but yeah, I've, I've actually heard that. Because that's what I thought you were going to say was that someone read your notes out loud. God, I no. remember teachers, you know, uh, <laughs> reading some of them out loud and that's brutal them, so it is brutal it is yeah. especially <laughs> if the person kid. said no when they read it out loud and i i uh yeah so so the handwritten note or the handwritten letter i mean they connected it connected us it allowed us to connect with other people which we do much obviously easier today through text and social media and email we're able to connect with a lot of people but you know, back then we had to write a letter to one person or maybe a few people. And uh, there's a great story from Prince, the musician, um, that I love to share about a handwritten note that he gave to someone, uh, Suzanne Vega, who was an alt singer. Do you guys know who Suzanne Vega was? His, my name is Luca. Yes. I live on the second, I live on floor, the second floor. Yeah. That's all the singing you're going to get out of me unless you get a few bourbons in me. Uh, so... <laughs> So she actually, in 1985, she had a song, or 85, 86, on the Pretty in Pink soundtrack uh, as well. So she was kind of uh, beginning to get known, but still, you really kind of had to listen to college radio or alt alternative music to really know who Suzanne Vega was. Everybody knew who Prince was. If you don't and you're watching this, please Google Prince. Hopefully you know who he is. So Prince heard her song in 1987. Now remember, at the time, he had already been won Grammys, been nominated for Academy Awards for Purple Rain. He was uh, huge. I mean, how many people in the world have been known by one name? Not many, right? So Prince, known all over the world. And Suzanne Vega, as we talked about, is a salt singer. And he heard the song, My Name is Luca. And he was so moved by it that he actually penned a handwritten note to her. And you can look this up. If you Google Prince and Suzanne Vega handwritten note, you'll find it. And it says, Dearest Suzanne, Luca's the most compelling piece of music I've heard in a long time. There are no words to tell you all the things I feel when I hear it. I thank God for you, Prince. Pretty awesome. That is and, awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the handwriting is as magical as you would think it would be when you look up the note. You'll see Prince's handwriting exactly as you thought, think it would be. And it's pretty awesome to think because remember in 1987, as we talk about these handwritten letters, there was no email. There was no digital way to get this to her. There were additional steps that had to be taken. First of all, he had to write that note. And secondly, somebody had to get it to her, whether he did it himself, somebody in his entourage, he mailed it to her. But there was some way somehow that that had to get to her. Extra steps had to be taken for us to communicate a positive message or any message to people through handwritten notes. And I think that with handwritten notes and letters, and the reason I miss them so much and we're talking about them today is because a lot of your energy and your soul is in your handwriting. And in that note, rather, it's nice to get an email. It's nice to get a text. It's, it's something positive. But that handwritten note, that handwritten letter, um, you know, I really wish they would come back. 
And you know, um, and the it, older relatives of mine, they still hand write a lot of things like the, the thank you notes for anything that they, that you do. They they're still into that. And I just tell people, I'm like, look, I, I I don't do handwritten notes anymore. You know, there's just not a lot of time in the world for it, especially because you have the text. And I I, I miss the that that ritual, but yet at the same time, I really love shooting off a text to somebody. Yeah, I don't miss it even a little bit. I get what you're saying about the energy conveying into it, but the effort necessary doesn't match the energy put through it for me. Um, I was the kid that had to be forced to write to their pen pal in third grade. I hated it. I remember in like high school, I'd go to different events, right? Youth leadership conferences. There was like this thing called the Hugh O'Brien Youth Leadership Conference. I remember I went to and I met this girl named Melissa. And we hit it off over the three days, and it was great. And we exchanged addresses, and she must have sent me four or five or six letters before finally giving up. And Melissa, if you're well, I'm sorry. It's just ghosting. not in me. I ghosted before, and I didn't mean to. It's just I'm never. I must have started at least three or four different letters. They're probably still in a binder and a trapper keeper somewhere. Just to your point, the effort of writing it. And then putting it in an envelope and then getting to the post office and mailing it. And, and, sorry, Melissa. Sorry. <laughs> Melissa, Melissa's out here crying. I finally have validation. It wasn't you. It was me. <laughs> I actually and we, found we, a lot of course, wrote those in cursive. So, I mean, yeah. no, everybody did handwriting. When you say that, we specifically yes. mean cursive, which, you know, they're not even teaching in most schools anymore at all. And I was no, there's a TikTok challenge now where young kids are trying to see if they can write their name without lifting the pen up from the paper. <laughs> They're inadvertently rediscovering cursing. Really? Really? It's a thing. <laughs> I, 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 went, I was home cleaning out my mom's house and we found, I found a bunch of letters, handwritten letters that I wrote to crushes that I never sent. Aw, did you, we need to see them. We see them or it doesn't happen. It it never happened. (laughs) No, no, they're gone. They are gone. I'm so thankful. What do you mean they're gone? I'm like, this is embarrassing. Like I, this is going in. You, 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 you must, you did not throw that away. How could you throw that away? As far as you know. Really? Yeah. Ah, they exist. I threw mine away after I found them, I don't know, 15 years ago. I I didn't know I'd be on social media talking about this stuff. I threw all mine away. I thought I didn't even know who this, you know, like you said, in the case of Melissa, you remembered her name at least. Some of the names were written there and I didn't even remember them. So I was like, yeah, I think her name was Melissa Hoyt. Melissa Hoyt. No, Melanie Hoyt. Oh my God, I actually do remember. She lived in Colony, New York, near Albany. So somebody's going to forward this to her, and Melanie. she's going to say, "Wow, possibly." I, just, <laughs> I really, I quite possibly. Don Catrini's no. wasn't ignoring me. <laughs> if if you're out there, Melanie, uh, <laughs> if you're out there, Melanie, John is dedicating. Stop! Oak, no, 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 no. This this is going to go to bad, bad, bad places. This this is a mistake. This long distance dedication is open arms. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so this goes off on another topic. Speaking of handwritten notes, when you were in high school, did you ever get, it was the handwritten note that was supposed to be, when you read it, it was supposed to be very, um, uh, I gotta think of a good word so we don't get (laughs) Um, it was supposed to be very intimate I never got one of those notes no there was a there was a note about an alien never mind you're not gonna get an alien took over the piece of paper and then it was a very intimate note and if you were holding it it never mind yeah cut this out You never what? got one of those. No, okay, no, don't, don't, I want to hear more of this. No, 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 no. What the hell happened in Pennsylvania when you were a kid? <laughs> Cowtails and alien and alien notes? <laughs> Supposedly, somebody wrote you a note, and it was an alien that took over the note. But the alien could disguise itself. The alien took over the note, or the alien took over the person writing the note? Yes. 
and the alien disguised itself in in the paper and then it would get very intimate with whoever was holding the paper get it like it was when 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 you read it it was a very intimate letter to you um it must have been a country <laughs> so the alien is in the note like I, it's not like an invasion of the body snatchers thing where i'm pretending an alien took over me and now i'm writing an inappropriate note and giving it to it you. Was, it was how it was. It was a sexual thing. Like you got cut that off. Where was the alien? What's that? It was in the. Notes. Where was the alien? Yes, the, the alien was like, I don't know, doing things through through the paper to you. Like it was a weird thing. Yeah. And the words were on the paper. Is this making any sense to you as you're saying this? <laughs> okay, it, it's a legit memory. Okay, I'm not crazy. It's a legit memory, but the tiny little details are probably just lost to me now. Chris, if this is how the three connect, I'm never going to get the connection. So we'll move on. But but I'm thinking this is a shell cowtail thing. So I'm just going to nod and smile and say yes. Yes, I absolutely remember. Yeah. I mean, the only anyway, the only aliens that I remember in school were the little alien eraser heads that you could get from the school supply store. Yes. You guys had a school supply store? Yes. You could get the, or we did. Scholastic Book Fair, where you oh, had yeah. like three bucks and you went in and you got all your stuff and it was like, yeah, the, the alien eraser head I always had. I remember that specifically, but not, but not, it never like talked sexually to me. Somebody out there is going to remember this. I'm telling you, somebody out there is going to remember this. Maybe one, just okay. one. Yeah, probably somebody <laughs> from your school. <laughs> So the last thing I'll say about handwritten notes is I just, not only do I hate it, good luck with kids. My 19 year old at graduation, at a graduation party, got graduation gifts, money, and we're like, you need to write thank you notes. And no, you can't just call, you can't just text, you can't just email, you need to sit down, you need to take the time, and you need to handwrite thank you notes and send them. And it's been two years and it never happened. It's like, forget it, it's just not gonna happen. So. I, and you know what, part of me feels for her. I mean, is it really necessary to handwrite a thank you note? You went to a graduation party, you gave a gift, that's what's expected of you. And at the time, when she took the card, she said, thank you. That, that should be enough. I, I will say this, uh, I do agree with you when it comes to kids. However, I do think that it does make a difference in the adult world um, when somebody does get a handwritten note from you, particularly when it comes to maybe a challenge they're going through, or even if you're like, you know, in charge of a team to take the time to write a handwritten note, it does make a difference. People feel that. And I still believe that. Uh, and also, you know, going back to the eighties, there were even, you saw like message in a bottle by the police. And, you know, that's another thing that people, the, the messages in the bottle are, were always fun. I threw a couple of them out in the ocean. I have no idea where they ended up, um, but I definitely threw a couple in the ocean. I was, you know, when you mentioned that, and I'm thinking about handwritten notes, I, you know, I guess there are some handwritten notes today that I still appreciate because my husband in particular will leave me post-it notes or a thing, you know, you'll leave a post-it note on the inside of the computer where you, you know, you open it up, but weren't expecting it. There's a nice little handwritten uh, sentiment right in there and, you know, or on the bathroom mirror, you know, those things do, I guess they mean a whole lot more than a text does, you know, between uh, yeah, two Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Like my daughter, if my 11 year old, I'll throw a, a post-it note on her lunch bag sometimes, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that, you know, I, I, my handwriting is terrible. It's the only thing I have in common with anybody who's a doctor is that my handwriting is terrible. They're, they're, you know, everything else, we have nothing in common, it's particularly when it comes to intelligence, but I'd still write them. And then I have to follow up with an email, like, just in case you can't read my handwriting, here's what it says. <laughs> so, yeah. So I use both. I dabble in both. Okay. So we have Scooby-Doo. We have handwritten letters. And the final piece here that we're going to talk about are mixtapes. And uh, my love for mixtapes when I was younger, uh, I would sit at the radio and I would wait for a song to come on. Just like, you know, MTV, you, you would you, either you were watching the, the countdown and that's where you got your favorite videos or you'd literally had to sit there and wait to hit record. And that's how we did it with the songs as well. And the DJ's talking over it at the beginning, but trying to find those songs that you wanted to put onto a mixtape until we were lucky enough to have, you know, two cassettes where we could record from one to the other. But that was later on. Uh, it was quite an effort to put together a mixtape. And uh, I did quite a bit of them. Did you guys? 
I did. I didn't give a lot. Like, I was the biggest dork all through, like, middle school and probably ninth and tenth grade. You've seen the pictures across my social media. I was a very aesthetically challenged youngster. Um, so like to make a mixtape and give it to a girl or to our past topic, a handwritten note and give it to a girl didn't really end well for me, but I would make mixtapes to commiserate in my own misery. So like when a girl circled or, or no, I wouldn't make a mixtape for her, but I remember sitting there. Yeah. And like coming up with the most angst written songs in the world. And, you know, I honestly remember 90 minutes of Phil Collins. I don't care anymore. Paid play back to back over and over again. And I'll put my Walkman on and I'll pop it. And I mean, that's like not, 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 not psychologically healthy behavior now that I think back, but I made mixtapes for me as pathetic as that sounds. That is not pathetic. You, you know, it, it, John, honestly, um, I think that was something that everybody closet did. I'm telling you, I know the girls did it, okay? Because we're girls, obviously. Huh, but that I, doesn't I, help. <laughs> all the boys out there was were probably doing the same thing, and they just won't admit it. So, bravo. <laughs> yeah, you probably had the Smiths. Heaven knows I'm miserable now. Uh, on replay, if you know that song, "Wind Beneath My Wings." I don't. <laughs> Wind, oh my god! Oh god, damn you! Oh, is that beaches? Throwback to episode one. We need a drink anytime cowtails or beaches gets mentioned. The person that started that needs to drink. We're gonna bring it in, <laughs> and we'll get one for you, Chris. It's coming. <laughs> Or you had all of the, uh, the, the, what do we call it? Like the candy rock metal ballads on there. There were. Oh, those were dads. huge. Extreme had one. Uh, yeah. Um, Slaughterhouse. Uh, yeah, I just. Slaughterhouse. Yeah, Warrant. Yes. yes. Warrant, those, yeah. Those Warrant like, Heaven was a great one. Yeah. Yes. Heaven isn't too far away. I, I had yeah. that one playing all the time, <sighs> you know? Um, but, but and then the, the other thing is 90 minute tapes the cool thing about them was that was enough to get most of the top 40 countdown like it ran for a couple hours so i remember what i would do is i would just tape i like but when it got to the top 20 i didn't wait to hit record i just recorded the whole thing when vcrs were a thing i started taping mtv just so that i would catch the video i wanted to catch so that i would have it i just recorded constantly this is going to be another one of those things where you're going to ask about where i grew up <laughs> My sister and I, when we had our cassette tapes, we made mixtapes for ourselves, but we did a little playing with them. We pretended like we were on a newscast or we pretended like we were the actual music DJs and we would record a song. We would wait and record that song off the radio. And then in between we would, you know, and that was, we were the Casey K song. Um, of our own mixed tapes and we would give fake news or fake call-ins where you could call in you know be the third prize to call in or third caller to win a prize you know and that's what we would do I wish I still had one of those maybe somewhere I do but it was my sister and I recording uh, and we used that as a form of play because if you think about it that you know that was our play on a rainy day so yeah, that's not that bad right no we did that we pretended we had news newscasts that we would do and we would play and, and play act those things out as well. Maybe it's just us future content creators that did that. Um, and it was like foreshadowing. I don't know. I, I, we did it as well, but we would interview people. So, and then we would cut the piece of the song in as their answer. So for example, like uh, Jason from Friday the 13th, uh, we were like, we would say like, what did you think when you took that harpoon and stuck it through the two people that were, you know, having sex and then we have, and we would say we would use like Huey Lewis stuck on you. I'm so happy to be stuck on you. you know? oh. So we would do stuff like that <laughs> and we would interview, we would interview like pop culture people at the time. And then the answer would be a piece of a song. So we did the same kind of thing, but just in a, you know, a little bit of a different way. Had some fun with it as well. You know, it's funny. It's like I said, I didn't like the handwritten notes as a kid. Didn't like writing because it took too much effort. But the effort I would put into my mixtapes, I wanted to make sure song A perfectly fit with song B as a transition. So I put a lot of thought into the order that the songs would be on the mixtape. It wasn't just a random nine songs on the side of a tape. They had to kind of end where the other one began. And I would play around with the volume settings when I finally had the ability to do that. So a song would, you know, 
dip out before the next one came in. And it's kind of like editing now. I, I find if I have a compilation that I do for videos, I do the same thing. I'm still that 12 year old right now. Um, do like I did a compilation of one hit wonders from the eighties and I play with the order and I'm basically creating a digital online mixtape um, of songs that I want and, and really am putting a lot of thought into what order they're in and what portion of it I use to back into the next song. That's a really good point, John, because uh, I do kind of the same thing whenever I, you know, we're putting out our memories here when we're on social media. We're we're letting people inside of our head to see this is the, these are the things that I remembered and maybe you remember them the same way. And that order did matter, you know, whether it was the best song at the end or the best song in the middle. Uh, and sometimes they told a story, you know, if somebody gave you a mixtape, it told the story of maybe their journey of their yeah. love for you. And you know, and maybe that's why we love music so much from that era is because a lot of times we heard that same song over and over and over because we were messing with it and we got to know it or, or, or just stopping the tape just to figure out the words on the sleeve on the inside of the, you know, of an action. Over and over and over again. Yeah, so we can remember, well, not, I can't remember why I walked in the room sometimes now, but I can certainly remember the lyrics, the song, they'll just come into my head randomly because of that. I'll often say I, it's fun remembering what I didn't realize I didn't forget. Mm -hmm. Somebody will say, do you know this song? And I'll swear up and down on a stack of Bibles, never heard it before, sorry, I, it doesn't ring a bell, I don't know it. Or this commercial, or this jingle, or whatever it is. And then I'll hear it play. And before I realize, not only am I remembering that I remember it, I know every single word, or at least every single word the way I thought it was sung 30 years ago. But to your point about us sharing memories, every opportunity we're going to get in this podcast, as we look in the three view mirror to look back as the three of us on these three topics over three decades, the reason we're looking back in, in, in basically what is a three view mirror is we're moving forward still. As we move forward, we look back. And music has become so singular right now that when we do share our videos with the music in them, people just come together. And I think it's important to bring that piece of the past back into the present. And don't just leave it on your AirPods or in your Beats, in your head, on your playlist. If we could get back to an era where we're sharing music with our kids, with our peers, with each other, I mean, I think... That is a huge thing we can take from the past and bring back. And no, you can't share them. You can still share a mixtape, but you know what's even easier? Share your Spotify list. When's the last time you shared a really great playlist that you have with someone? I don't know if that's, I've never done it, but I'm going to. I think this podcast is going to make a really great playlist. <laughs> I agree. I'll tell you something else. Like you bring up a good point, John, in that the mixtapes, a lot of times too, as we started to, find and explore new music ourselves. We wanted to, like you said, we wanted to share with our friends and we put a mixtape together to say, Hey, here's some cool new music. And it made us feel cool as well because we are like, maybe we found and discovered some music that other people are going to love and enjoy themselves as well. And it was how we really found that different type of music beyond what was on the top 40 or the things that were, you know, played on MTV. Of course, MTV had some, some great shows uh what is it 120 minutes more alternative music but ultimately like it was really up to us and somebody would come in and maybe they maybe they wrote the name of a band on their binder and on their canvas on the on the binder and it's and i'll be like what what you know what band is that and that's how we explored it and then of course creating the mixtapes as well helped us share that music and yeah, yeah the Columbia, I, um, shirt on. I, What's I, that? I yeah shirt on <laughs> <laughs> we all well, and finding new music too. was easy <laughs> finding new music was easy when it was free <laughs> yeah. Yeah. we always said like your dog had a, had a columbia house subscription your parakeet had a columbia house subscription but there was to your point chris and i think the magic era of music for me was when we did have the dubbing boombox where there were two cassette tapes because that's when we really shared when i'm like oh my god you like this band too you know i've got this this, uh, what do we used to call it when it was like underground? I've got an underground tape. Like sometimes artists would have music that wasn't necessarily released and yet somehow it still got out. 
and there were these underground versions of their song. And when you had one of those, that went viral back in the day because those I would share all day long. And my friend would copy it, and then their friend would copy from a copy, and then it would just spread that way. And then you didn't hear the commercials or the person talking over the first half of the song because now you had a real copy of that song because I can remember trying to press that record button or record and play however we used to do that to try not to to get Casey Kasem's voice in there. Yeah. And on top of that, with the with the double the the uh, dual cassette, you're right. Like the you know, some of us actually did listen to the B sides of things and we would yeah. find a song by a band that maybe never got popular, but it was like such a cool song or it, it was relevant to us at that time in our lives or even relevant to our friends. And we would all appreciate that song. Even if it didn't get popular, we just, we were listening to more than one track. And when you got that, that tape and there were 12 songs on it, 15 songs on it, you know, you weren't buying that tape typically or that cassette for one song. That's not how it was done back then. You were buying it for a handful of songs, or maybe the had whole to. Album. I remember had, I couldn't I couldn't afford to buy a cassette for one song. You know, yeah, I was working at like twelve and and had my own money, but that was expensive for getting paid three dollars and thirty five cents an hour. It was many hours worth of work to go buy a cassette. So I remember thinking, okay, there's this song I like on it, and I'd be looking at it in the store. And I'm looking at the titles, and unless there were, I think three was my magic number. If there were three songs on it that I knew that I liked, then I'd buy it. Otherwise, back to recording it off the radio. And do you remember when you bought them at the store, the cassettes were in, in the big safety, um, don't steal these things, oh. you know? And then you, you would riffle through them and click, 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 click as they were, as you were riffling through to find in alphabetical order, they always were or, uh, at, the, at the stores to find whichever artist that you wanted. If you guys had to think of one B-side song, just not your favorite necessarily, but first one to come to mind, a song that you discovered that you loved that still, if, if there's one that comes quickly to your mind, for me, I'll tell you while you're thinking. So I was a huge Peter Gabriel Genesis fan. Peter Gabriel made this song called Family Snapshot, and I thought it was genius because not only is it musically amazing to me, but I was a JFK, like, conspiracy theory nut. I, I read everything there was about the JFK assassination. And that song is written from the perspective of Lee Harvey Oswald before he takes the shot. Nobody had ever heard that song. And I remember sharing it with friends and being like, you gotta hear this song. Oh, that's amazing. I've never heard that. I might have to look that up, yeah. but I, I can't think it's of any B-side. It's awesome. Um, no? No, I can't think of any B-side that would ring a bell. Chris, you got one. I mean, I'll give you one that, I'm not sure was on the B-side, but I will give you one it's one of my favorites that I, I think it, when people listen to it and they're like, wow, this is actually a really good sound. It's by a band called the Blow Monkeys and it's called Digging Your Scene. And it was like, it's, it's a really awesome song, Digging Your Scene. But it would definitely be like, if you were to talk about the 80s, it would be a B-side song in terms of the 80s just because. Gotcha. It's not so yeah, that's what I mean. I don't know necessarily that these songs were on the flip side of the, of the album, but it was just an unknown, undiscovered, never made it to top 40. It was a song that just filled space on the album for most people. Yeah. Yeah. And there were, there were a lot, of, I mean, that was one of the great things about uh, 80s music. And the reason that we were able to create so many mixtapes is because until those, those uh, cassette singles came along. And I think that was probably like 1989, 90. Cause I, I was a DJ. My I never owned a single. You never did. Okay. I did because I was. No, I didn't even, I, I discovered them maybe two years ago. I don't remember because singles being a thing for me at all. I, I think I kind of went from tapes to CD, you know, and. and it's me yeah. too. It was a, I was a DJ for my fraternity, my, uh, myself and my buddy Don. And uh, we had like a dual cassette deck and we would get the cassette singles because it was just much easier to handle. But in the eighties, you had these albums where literally, you know, 12 songs and 10 of those songs were amazing. And maybe five or six of them were either on the charts or were songs that everybody knew. And I don't know that it's that way anymore. So if you, if we were to say, kind of take today's music and put it back in the eighties and say, you got to create a mixtape, you'd be going all over the place to try to find stuff where we kind of knew where it was going to be because we didn't have a lot of channels to, to find it in. It was, you know, it was the radio. It was, you know, uh, that to John's mm -hmm. point or it was the cassette tape itself. Uh, but there weren't a lot of places that we could go to find it. So that's why in the nineties Napster 
LimeWire was life-changing for us. I mean, we were in our teens or early 20s when that happened, I think. It was like 90, 91. Am I, am I misquoting the time? But I think I remember being around then. Could be wrong, but the point is we were young adults then, and that was like just incredible. And even then, like kids are, oh, so you had streaming music available, or oh, you were able to download music online. Okay, <laughs> so, so you were just like us. No, oh, we were nothing like you. Because we, it took planning even to do that. I would be like, okay, find the song, find the person that's sharing it peer to peer. Hope to God that they're trustworthy. Try to look through. Are you going to be downloading a virus unintentionally? And I remember lining up the queue and then going to bed because it took hours to download a song. And then you'd get up in the morning and you're like, all right, it's Christmas morning. Let me see what I got. What you got was a whole lot of nothing because the internet connections weren't stable then either. And about two minutes after I went to bed, everything shut down. So you got to do it again the next night. (laughs) Yeah, everything was gone then at that point. We did. We moved from... If you think about it, we I mean, I remember my parents playing 45s. I wasn't into 45s, but I remember owning 45s in my family. Went from 45s, two cassettes, two CDs, two Napster, two downloading music from um, Apple Music uh, or wherever from, you know, paying for the songs. And now you pay for the subscription to get, you know, right. what you want, you know, and not even well, the individual. You left out eight tracks, but I'll, I'll bet a bunch of our viewers remember eight tracks. Oh, absolutely. Because they were in the giant stereos that our parents owned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was in the cars too. If you had an old truck, my dad had an old truck with a eight track player in it. Didn't play anything because we didn't own any eight tracks at the time, but yeah. Yeah, and to you know, and you mentioned earlier about the uh, the mixtapes being kind of the original content creation, which both of you do today. And what's really cool about mixtapes, though, is that when we go back and we think about that, there were you know there were camcorders that came out, of course, but that was really for most of us because camcorders were unaffordable for so many people. But the but the the mixtape was the first time that we could actually create something of our own. And we could say that we created this. I mean, beyond, you know, drawing something. Uh, but even that back then, we didn't have the computers that had the ability, unless you were like a computer genius, to be able to program a game or anything. What we could do is we could create a mixtape based on something that we wanted to talk about or we wanted to get out or we wanted to share for whatever reason with somebody else or a group of people. And that was the first time that, that most of us had the capability to do anything like that and say, I created this. This is mine. And I think that's why re- it's so cool. Do you remember the frustration, though, too, if something happened to that tape because you put it in somebody else's player or somebody else's car or whatever it was, <laughs> and that tape that you spent all that time on got eaten yes. by said yes. player? That was a legit frustration that yeah. you just, you, you hardly could get over because it was like, that was eight, 10. It was a lot. You lost a lot of work. <laughs> and, and what, and what did we do? There was very, very little we could do to safeguard the fragility, the fragileness of our mixtape. But there was one thing we all did when you made a mixtape and you wanted to ensure that no one would record over it. What did we do? Lick the little thingy and t- t- cut it the Yeah, we got to pop the tabs out. And I'd forgotten a couple times, and I realized after the fact that I taped over my own mixtape. And that was equally bad, but so they were fragile. And then the one other thing I'll say about the mixtapes is the thing that they all have in common, no matter what mixtape you ever made, the one thing every mixtape anyone ever made had in common was in addition to being songs that we liked, they were supposed to convey a very specific emotional set. Whether it was your party mixtape, which was supposed to get everybody's attitude up and get your mood up and and be a party tape. Whether it was the angry he doesn't like me tape or she doesn't like me tape or I just want to sit in my room and then be dark and depressed and angst-written teenager tape. Or just every single tape over and over and over again. (laughs) That's two. That's two <laughs> cowtails. I'm counting. Cowtails. <laughs> Go ahead, John. I had, I had so, to get that in there. But, but there, and even wind beneath my wings. Okay, the uplifting. Uh, what do kids say today? Hype me up. You know, workout tapes. They every single thing that every single one of them had in common then, and almost every single playlist, whether people realize they're doing it or not, has in common now. Is that no? It's not a workout playlist. It's get me emotionally in the mood to work out playlist. 
And, and, and again, that's why it's important to share it because if it does that for you, then it probably does that for somebody else too. And that's a big part of, again, why we do this. It's not just to share memories between three friends. It's to share memories between an entire community so that we can convey a very specific emotion and bring the things that we're so desperate. I want to go back. No, we can't. We're going to bring it here. Yeah, yeah we're conveying that. those stories in, in real time for you to remember, for you to process, for you to feel good about, feel happy, maybe sometimes even a little bit sad about it and, and, and yeah. make that a part of your today because maybe you forgot about it and maybe all of us are going to bring forth these memories for everybody, which I think is the entire point of our podcast. Yeah, and, and you know, I want to go back to one thing about the, the mixtapes when Shell was talking about how if it went into somebody's deck in their car and it started getting all screwed up, we were all very proficient with pens and pencils to be able to put it in there and try to reel it back in as much as we could and hope that we were able to save it, uh, that it wasn't that messy. Once it got eaten for whatever reason, in my memory, even if I got it back in the tape, it was going to get eaten again. Mm -hmm. There was a crinkle in there somewhere yeah. that when it passed over the tape head, yeah. it was going to get it a second time. And I remember being so pissed once because once I fixed it and it got ruined the second time, now it didn't just ruin the cassette. Now it was like jammed up into the boombox, <laughs> and now yes. I had to try to get that out. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. See, I mean, this is, you know, it's, it's how effort. This is what, you know, technology is amazing, what it does for our conveniences and what it does for our pop culture. And, you know, moving from mixtapes to Spotify playlists, I love it. So let's, let's uh, recap the three things that we talked about that are, that all connect for this final fourth piece of our podcast. And we're going to talk about how they connect. So we talked about Scooby-Doo. We talked about handwritten letters and we talked about mixtapes and all three of these things somehow connect to this main topic. I got it. Okay. I, I think I might have, it. I got you. I know it. You said a word that made me think, um, of how these could be connected. And that would have been effort. Um, that was the word that came to my mind when all of these things, the Scooby-Doo team took, you know, maybe I'm thinking that would took effort to, you know, they were always on a mission to find um, the, the, the story. And then I was thinking the effort of making a mixtape and the effort, the, the long gone efforts of being able to write a thank you note. So that was my thought that came from your words, John, was that your thinking as well? Yeah, and I, for me, it was the effort, and it was the effort based on the steps. So Scooby and his crew had steps that they had to take to solve the the mystery, right? They came up with a hypothesis, they searched for clues, they put those clues together, they met, they discussed them, and then they, they worked their way to the big reveal, at which point, and I can only do this now in my 50s because my skin's elasticity is gone, but it's when they would take the mask and <laughs> rip it right out of his face. <laughs> The turkey neck. You just like that. I don't need to do that. I'm like, oh my god, I'm an evil guy. I'm Scooby Doo. I can take my mask off. You're the lighthouse keeper. <laughs> That's not a link. I'm waiting to do that the entire podcast. <laughs> so it took steps, and then again, steps that Chris mentioned as far as getting a letter out. We had to find. We had to take the time to get the paper, the pencil, the implements, write it put our thoughts on the paper, find a way to get it to the person that was going to receive it. Um, and then finally, we've talked about the steps for our music, how difficult it was to get our music to, to, to be on the mixtape. So I love where both of you went with that. <gasps> We're not right. I love where you went with it. I think it makes absolute sense. However, you have to think about, no, no, no. you got to think about where I come from. Movies and, and pop what culture. I talk about pop culture. And so these three things all tie to some one and something in pop culture that was I had a, huge for all of us, particularly on a Sunday morning. Was Prince on Scooby-Doo? Well, I was going to say, I mentioned Casey Kasem two times and I was thinking, because Oh, Kasem, he was shaggy. He, and, and, and it was Scooby. He was on Scooby. He was a Scooby-Doo voice. Oh, and, and, long <laughs> distance dedication. Written letters. A personal love letter. Yeah. Yes. Dude. Yeah. Because we mentioned, we listened to Casey Kasem to get all those songs on our mixtape. Well, not just that. Yeah. And oh my God, dude, I didn't. That is so awesome. 
Because I'm like, oh, clues, clues, what made it too easy. It's like halfway through, I got this. I'm like, oh my God, I totally didn't get it. So he was shaggy for 15 years and then he left because he was a vegetarian or a vegan and they asked him to to voice shaggy for a Burger King commercial and he said no. And so he left for five years and then he actually came back when they agreed to make shaggy a vegetarian again or a vegan again. Um, so he was the voice of Shaggy, along with he did a part in Hong Kong Fui as well, believe it or not. Um, so he was doing a lot of voiceover at the time. The handwritten letters, of course, like there was Hong Kong Fui, Shaggy, yeah. Robin on Super Friends, yes. uh, multiple characters on the 80s Transformers cartoon. Yep. He was actually the, the, the boombox guy's voice, I think. And he was also. So like he was actually. Yeah. He, he was the, the, the only Transformer that could actually make a mixtape. <laughs> there you Another go. connection. <laughs> he was also on the dating game. Um, before he hit big, he was on the dating game, like so many people were. Uh, he had a little cameo in Ghostbusters. He was in Hawaii Five O. He was in Beverly Hills Nine O Two One O. Saved by the Bell. Charlie's Angels. Like he was out there, all over the place. But for me, the Shaggy voice is really what. We all, besides the American Top 40, knew Casey Kasem for is that he voiced Shaggy. Uh, so that's where- I am so bummed. I thought I nailed this. I I, I, I hate, I feel like I lost. <laughs> I it a, was right there. I had a tiny clue, but then I couldn't quite get the written letter part to fit in because as soon as I mentioned Casey the second time, I thought, oh wait, there's a connection to Shaggy. And I was actually even gonna mention it thinking that it didn't have anything to do with Part two. Yeah. And the handwritten letters. I mean, that was the only way for people to get their long distance dedications to Casey. And they came from all over the world. And you can yes, go and you can Google Casey Kasem's dedications and you can listen to some of them. And they literally what came from Malaysia. I mean, all over the place. That was a beautiful every state connection. in the union, every country in the world. I actually saw one when I was doing my research where there's an article about a guy who wrote him and he played the long distance dedication to this girl um she never heard it they she said we listened my sister and i listened every sunday and that sunday we didn't listen for whatever reason and it was probably 20 15 or 20 years later that someone uncovered it and then they actually the two of them got together now they're both married and they met each other's spouses but there's pictures of them at a high school reunion with their spouses and it's pretty wild to see like 25 years later that this long distance dedication was still out there and uh, it was pretty cool. So I thought it was like awesome. Like that whole, I mean, I always loved the long distance dedications. I thought they were really cool anyway. They were like the the beautiful, uh, they were like the, will you go with me circle? Yes or no's, but they were, they were, they were out there for the world to see. And, and some of them, they made you cry or they made you like want to cheer for like, Oh, go out with him, you know, or whatever, whoever wrote it. Yeah. Could you, dear Casey, could you please play? And then he would say, Yeah, I can hear him. I can hear the, he always had, he always put the same tone. He had the same tone every time he did one. And he's just, his voice would get softer. And, you know, it'd be, here's a long distance dedication from Shell to the alien that passed her a note in school. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I, I did the whole dear Casey, like you're right. You can hear it in your head, like dear Casey, mm-hmm. you know, and then can you please play open arms? And then he would put in his own little, can you please play wind beneath my wings, wind beneath my wings. <laughs> <laughs> dear Melanie, this, this is my first dear song. Melanie, whoever you are. <laughs> this is my first long distance dedication. You. My first long distance dedication from somebody to themselves. Dear John, could you please play <laughs> Wind Beneath My Wings for John? This whole podcast is just John's one big Wind Beneath My Wings for poor Melanie out there. It's just one big <laughs> My wife's watching this. <laughs> oh, come on, John. You're 12 or so. You know, you can't help it. <laughs> and, you know, and Brittany,
bringing these things forward into today, into today, you know, we're looking back at all of these things, but bringing it into today, this is, this is some of the things that we got to go back sometimes and say, you know what, I might just write a little handwritten note to my wife, to my husband and say, you know, Hey, you, you mean the world to me. I'm going to do my Casey Kasem for you. And, and, and remember to do that. It's, it's, it may take a few more steps, but then again, I, as we were talking about steps throughout and we were coming up with that effort thing, first thing in my mind was sometimes those efforts are actually a little less effort, you know, take a less effort than some of the technology. I mean, you know, we had, technology trouble here at the beginning because I couldn't put do not disturb on my phone. We? So, okay, me, we? me, 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 old people stuff. I couldn't put do not disturb on. It took me longer to oh. do that than I probably could have wrote a letter to Casey Kasem. Uh, like, to Melanie. <laughs> we could have wrote a letter to Melanie yeah. a long time ago. Okay, so as we wrap up here, let's just go back really quick and talk about, we had three things that all connected to our final segment and gave us the answer the decoder ring that we always talk about. You had your decoder ring out trying to figure out how all these three things connect. It was <laughs> Scooby-Doo, handwritten letters, and mixtapes. And they all connected to Casey Kasem's American Top 40 because he was the voice of Shaggy. He was also the long distance dedications that the handwritten letters came into and mixtapes that we did when we listened to American Top 40. I do want to mention a quote from Casey Kasem that he said as he wrapped up his career with American Top 40, and this is relevant because this is only our second or third, second or third episode together, second episode together, I think. And uh, we all just kind of met beforehand. And I want to say this, this is what he said when he was wrapping up. Success doesn't happen in a vacuum. You're only as good as the people you work with and the people you work for. I've been lucky. I've worked for and with the very best. And I feel like that's where we all are today as we start to launch this Three Guru Mirror podcast, that we're all working with the very best. And I cannot wait to see where this takes us. That's my long distance dedication to two of you. Chris, my long distance dedication would be the exact same words. I would have circled yes. That's where that's what I'm doing. <laughs> yes. To quote Patrick Swayze, ditto. Gentlemen, it has been an absolute pleasure today to talk with everybody. Chris, you were an amazing host. We thank you both very much. You really tricked us with that one. But before we sign off, I'd like to give a little uh, extra shout out to our sponsor at Do You Remember? Do You Remember is a global community of people who just love nostalgia, similar to the three of us and all of our audience listeners. So with that, next week, I will be your host and I'm signing off. This is Rochelle. John X. Jono, John Catrini signing off saying thank you once again for joining us uh, for this week and for all others. Keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. <laughs> and, uh, and this is Chris Clues signing off as well. Stay rad, everybody. <laughs>